0: Welcome to another podcast of risen.church we're glad you're with us and today i'm going to talk to you about a subject i think that has really sprung in my heart because of my bible reading this month i've been reading through the book of job for this month and uh, now that the month is almost over i've been going through those 42 chapters of that book and everybody talks about either the suffering or the patience of job and the suffering uh, of a good people, uh, whether it's from the Bible and the book of Job or whether it's from people we know, causes lots of questions and concerns from people's hearts. They look up and they will ask a Christian, well, if God is loving and caring, why is there so much suffering in the world? Well, when you read through the book of Job, it was obviously suffering was not outside God's rule. He was still sovereign in that, and he allowed Satan so much Uh, Freedom to be able to afflict Job. And in all that time, God was still caring for Job and knew that Job was okay. Job didn't know that. He didn't have the luxury of being able to read the first two chapters of the book like we do to see what happened at the council of the heavenlies when God pointed Job out to Satan. uh, Job had to live through that. And then at the end of the book when God appeared and Job began to realize who God was, uh, he literally just said, oh, I've spoken once and I shouldn't have done that, I've spoke twice, now I'm gonna cover my uh, mouth with my hand. And God went on further talking to him and then he repented saying, "I, I have no idea what you know and you're in control. And there's a lot of people that read the very last 10 verses of chapter 42 and say, well, this is telling us that when Christians suffer, When God's people suffer, then God is going to reward them at the end and give them twice as much as they had before, just like he did Job. That's not the point of the book. Uh, God doesn't allow us to go through suffering as believers, as followers of Christ, and then when we get to a point and come through it, he's going to bless us on this earth. The whole point of the book of Job is to learn that suffering does happen, and it is in this world, and that if we're going through a time of suffering, God is with us. And I can remember the first time in my life when suffering really just pulled the carpet out from under me. I have two older brothers. One of them is three and a half years older than me, and the other was two years older than me. And when I got married, when my wife and I got married, um, we were still in high school, and I was 18 years old, and my brother was the, the middle brother was two years older than me at 20, and. I chose him to be my best man because of the friend that he had been to me all my life. He's the one that watched over me as a little boy. He's the one that took me to my first baseball practice and told me what position to play. He was the, took me to my first football practice and told me what position I ought to try out for. He was just always watching over me and giving me training and stuff. And he'd bring home gifts. He was a very uh, giving person in his personality. And I just wouldn't believe it that he'd open up a box and it'd be this marvelous gift for me. And So he's just a, a, a good brother and so it was obvious that he'd be my best man. And my wife and I got married on April the 7th of 1972. And then on September the 30th of 1972, just six months later, my wife and I were visiting her sister over in uh, Sepulpa. And uh, we were at this building where the shop where my brother-in-law worked. And everybody had kind of moved away and I was in this room by myself. and. I'd been there for a little while so then I started well walk into the office and see what everybody's doing and when I opened the door I heard Freddie's sister say uh to Freddie Danny Mike's brother has been killed in an airplane crash and I mean that just not it's just like a punch in the stomach it just knocked the wind out of me and I remember going into Nile thinking oh that can't be but yet everybody realized that was reality and so we had to take that long trip back home from Tulsa and for an hour and a half getting back home I kept thinking to myself surely Danny's not dead he's only 20 years old he's maybe in the hospital and maybe hurt but surely he's not dead and so when I got back to my mom and dad's house I, the reality set in that Danny was dead um, and from that time forward we I'd always been a Christian I'd always believed in Christ since I was a little child. Six years old was when I made that commitment to follow Christ. But uh, because of getting a little bit older, I'd started drifting away from the Lord. And when that happened, my heart became bitter toward God. I just really thought, God, how could you let my brother die like this? Uh, I was asking questions just like Job did. I just didn't understand why something like that would happen. Um, And I dealt with that for a long time in my life. And when I got back into church... I can remember uh, people talking about uh, one of the greatest verses in the Bible to me is Romans 8:28, And it says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And unfortunately, that's one of the most mistaught verses in the Bible because people have taken that out of context and said that. If you love God and you follow him, he's going to make everything in your life good. And he's going to make sure that you don't have to suffer, that everything's going to be good. That is not what that verse says. It doesn't say that all things were good. It says all things can work together for good. And God obviously allows suffering in this world. We see that in the Bible. We see that when we look across this world. We see people who are suffering in many different ways through drugs and alcohol, through malnutrition of children overseas and some even here in the United States, sex trafficking. There's all kinds of things that are causing people to suffer. There is suffering going on in this world. Becoming a Christian doesn't eliminate you from the possibility of suffering. Uh, The thing that I learned about this verse from a man named John Maxwell, though, in interpreting this verse, he said, All things work together for good to those who love God. And he used the illustration of this verse of a chocolate cake. And he said, now, if... um, you put a piece of chocolate cake out there he said i'm a i love chocolate and i love desserts enough i'm going to do everything i can to eat said, as a matter of fact if i have my whole meal before me he said i'm going to eat the chocolate cake before i eat my salad or my meat or my vegetables or anything he said if the rapture happens he said i want to go uh, in my stomach on a piece of chocolate cake not with peas and carrots so he loved chocolate cake and i love chocolate cake so much that if you put a piece of chocolate cake on my head top of my head, my my uh, tongue is going to slap my brain silly trying to get to it because I love chocolate. So when he started talking about the illustration of chocolate cake, it perked my interest. He said, now, if you put all the ingredients out on a table and said, okay, John, there's a chocolate cake, get after it. He said, but those ingredients are just there, individual agreements and they're uh, ingredients, and they're just set on the table. You have your flour, you have a little bit of milk, you have your eggs, you have your salt, you have your bittersweet chocolate, you have all those things that are out there, and they're all in their little dishes and everything. And said, so, now you can eat whatever you want. That's your chocolate cake. Go ahead and eat. He said, that would be gross. He said, when you stop and think about it, How would you like to try to pick up that whole bowl of flour that's going to be in that chocolate cake and just start eating that flour by itself? Or, you know, I don't know about you, but I really don't get a good kick out of eating raw eggs by themselves, or even just I'd have to have a lot more milk that goes into a chocolate cake. Those ingredients by themselves separated that make up a chocolate cake are not in any way enticing, and they're not good, any of them by themselves. but. He said, if you take somebody that's a a baker and knows how to do those things, and he gets the, the pan or the pot or whatever it is, and he starts taking the right amount of flour, he takes the pinch of salt, he takes the eggs that are needed, he takes the right quantity of milk, and he puts the bittersweet chocolate, and he puts all that stuff together, and he mixes it together and puts it all together, it's starting to take shape. starting to take form as a chocolate cake but there still has to be something that happens before that becomes uh, desirable to eat he said once that's all mixed together then that baker will uh, preheat an oven to a certain degree and he'll put that pan of cake in that oven and he'll let it sit in that oven for the right amount of time and a, a great baker will not allow that cake to stay in that oven one minute too long, nor will it take it out one minute too soon, because if he does too soon, it'll be a little bit gooey. If he takes it, leaves it in there too long, it'll be burnt. So he knows exactly the right amount of time to leave that cake in the oven for it to cook and be ready. Then he takes it out and he lets it cool. Once it cools, then he slaps that icing on it and it's a cake. That's the way God does with us in our life. When we look over the entirety of our life, if we live 70, 80, 90 years, there's gonna be some flour days in our life. There's gonna be some days that are made of milk. There's gonna be some days that are like eggs. There's gonna be some days that are pretty salty, and they're gonna burn when we start, you know, getting them in our wounds and we go through suffering. There's gonna be all these days of our life, but God is like the master baker of our life. And He knows how much flour we need to make our life enjoyable and and our life productive for the glory of the uh of our god and father he knows how much chocolate to put in there he knows uh the right amount of eggs and milk and he'll mix that all together and as a master uh baker of our life when he's got that all mixed together he's going to let us sometimes sit in the oven but we have to trust that master baker that he knows not only the right temperature for that oven to be in, but we have to trust him to know that he's watching us while we're in that oven. And he's making sure that he's not going to allow us to come out of that oven one minute too soon. He's not going to leave us in that oven one minute too long. Matter of fact, he's even going to pull us out of that oven every once in a while. And he's going to stick a toothpick in there just like a baker will to see how the uh, cake is doing and he makes sure that everything's right. And when we trust God from the time we're born, from the time we die, there's gonna be some things that are good. There are gonna be some things that are bad. There are gonna be some things that knock the air out of us and we're gonna wonder why, God, did you let this happen to us? Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good. Now that death of my brother, I went 18 years and I'd been in church for most of that time uh, at least 10 of those 18 years I'd been back in church and I'd heard people talk about that verse and I would in the back of my mind think well there's one thing that's happened in my life that I don't think God would ever be able to use as good and that was going back to the death of my brother and then one day as I got out of the oil field and I was uh, uh, on staff of a church there was a, a man in our church whose 35 year old wife had passed away And since I was the singles minister, the pastor told me, well, he's single now, go visit him. So I went to his house hearing that this man may be agnostic or maybe atheistic, he had never come to church, his wife was very faithful to church, and so I was supposed to go minister to him. And I remember walking up, because I'd only been in ministry for about um, probably a year at the most, and I'm walking up to the house and to the door, to knock on the door, wondering, what am I going to say to this guy? I don't know what to do for a man who's lost his wife, and so my wife was with me, and we knocked on the door, and this man came, and we went in, and we sat down, and we began to talk, and he was broken. I mean, his wife had just passed away, and he looked at me, and he said, I've got a five-year-old daughter. He said, I don't know how to comb her hair. I don't know how to wash her clothes. My wife did all that. He said, I just don't know where I'm going to start. And I said to him, I said, well, we have people at the church that I know would love to come and assist you and help you. And I know you've got a great family around you, and I know your in-laws are going to be there. We're just going to walk with you through this. I said, As a matter of fact, let me share with you about the time my brother was killed, and let me tell you about what grief did to me. And all of a sudden, I began to just share with him what I had gone through through the first year after my brother was killed. And as I finished that, he looked at me and I told him how, you know, holidays are tough and, and uh, special events like birthdays and anniversaries. And he said, yeah, two weeks away is our, our wedding anniversary. And I said, well, that could be real good or that could be real bad because you're still going to be kind of in the shock of grief and you might be able to slide right through it while you're going through that. But it's, it's going to take a while. It's going to be a process for you to heal from this loss that you've suffered. And uh, so he was very uh, receptive to the things we said. And what was really encouraging to me he, at the end of it, he said, you know, people down at the church where you're on staff at, most of them probably don't, wouldn't believe this, but I am a believer. I dedicated my life to Christ when I was a teenager, but he said, I haven't lived like it. And most people would never accuse me of being a Christian. He said, I, I really feel bad because of all the years of." Our marriage. My wife wanted me to go to church with her, and I never would. He said, "But I really appreciate you coming and introducing yourself to me." And he said, "I will be at church Sunday," and he said, "I will be a part of your deal. And I wanna, I wanna help any way I can as you're willing to help me." And we spent about an hour and a half in that man's house. We prayed for him before we left, and when we walked off the porch of that house, Romans eight twenty eight came back to my mind: All things work together for good. It doesn't say some things. doesn't say only good things work together for good. It says all things. And when I was walking back to my car, I started thinking about how if I had never experienced and gone through the death of my brother, I would have never been equipped to minister to that man during his grief and during his sorrow. And I remember getting back in my car 18 years after my brother had been killed and saying, thank you, Lord, for using what happened in my life to help somebody else. And, of course, when we suffer, that's what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, God comforts us during our trials and our tribulations in order that as we are comforted, we'll be able to help those who need comfort. And I saw that in that situation where it was my pain and my suffering and my experience of grief that I was equipped to be able to help this man. Now, it's not just what I've done. It's not just what Job done. But, I mean, when you look at God's people, whether it's Israel in the Old Testament or whether it's the church in the New Testament, God's people have always suffered. They've gone through the trials that are there. And we must always remember that God doesn't tempt us to do evil. God only tries us to bring out the good in us. And when He puts us through a trial, it's not so He can decide and determine who we are. It's for Him to be able to show us who we are. And I think about those uh, first believers in the book of Acts when we see that the gospel was spreading throughout the city of Jerusalem. And Uh, Of course, the religious people grew against them, began to persecute them. They arrested Peter and John and put them into prison and kept them, and they realized they couldn't do anything to them because the miracle that had happened, they just couldn't refute it. So they threatened Peter and John. They said, now, we're going to let you go, but you must not ever teach in that name again. And when they went back and told the rest of the believers what had happened, they actually got in a prayer meeting and they prayed for boldness that they wouldn't let the threats in any way uh, keep them from proclaiming the name of Jesus. And then in chapter 5 of Acts, we see where not only Peter and John, but the rest of the apostles were arrested, and they were beaten. And then when they got back after being beaten into their into their room, that upper room probably where the Holy Spirit came upon them, what is interesting is they weren't American-type Christians, that if they'd gone through a beating because of their faith, they didn't get up there and go, God, what's going on here? I thought we had a deal. I thought, if I followed you, you would keep me from this, and you're not keeping your end of the bargain, and there's so many American Christians that make this bargain trying to use God just to manipulate him so that they can get where they want to be, and if things don't go the way they like, then they just walk out on God. When those disciples got back into that room, what humbles me is that they prayed, thanking God that they were found worthy To be able to suffer for the name of Jesus, and I believe in America, we've lived in a situation where we've had the ease of being a Christian, and like David Platt wrote in Radical, we almost even use our Christianity to achieve the American dream, and and we've misused and misrepresented what following Christ is all about. We've got to learn that suffering is part of God's plan for this world. But in Romans 8, not only in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 28, does it talk about all things work together for good, but it talks about the suffering in this world. And Paul wrote, I am certain that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glories that will be revealed. Those disciples in the upper room, Paul, were all walking by faith, just like what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. Those patriarchs of the faith, they were not worried about where they dwelt on this earth. They were not making their home here on earth. They were looking for the heavenly home, and they walked by faith and not by sight. And so if we're going to experience suffering and trials in this world, we have to be ready to walk by faith. And when we walk by faith, we will trust God that he's not going to allow us to stay in the oven one minute too long to where we're burnt, or he's not going to take us out until we're ready to be a blessing to others. If you are suffering in this time, I just pray that you will be strengthened in your faith, be able to continue to keep your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. I pray you will follow his lead and continue to walk with him so you can sit down and his name be glorified when you enter into your rest. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, we would like to ask you if you would take time to write and review this and then look for future podcasts as we have them available.